Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host, Theo, here with my co-host, Ellie. Hello. And our guest, Elizabeth. Hello. Elizabeth, you've been on the show before, but would you still like to introduce yourself? Of course. I'm Elizabeth, I'm 20 years old, and I'm studying English at the University of Vienna, and I really like writing. As you should. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start with the reading today, as always, and you brought us a poem called An Ode to Fear, right? I did. Alright, here we go. An Ode to Fear. Succumbing to slumber, I feel your hand on my face. Gentle and happy, I slowly grow number. Number from happiness? That can't be right. I have everything I need close to me and in sight. As I close my eyes, I remember. I remember that I am happy. Remember that you still stay lying next to me. Precisely that is what I see. You lying next to me. Precisely that is what I fear. You no longer needing me. For it's my fear that we are finite. We don't seem to be, nor do we have to be. But alas, the possibility is as finite as we. We as in humans and not we as this unit. You don't feel it on a warm spring day, hair flying in the wind while laughing your worries away. Until walking home, gifting Sam of Instagram too much attention, doing this with no malicious intention, mistaking red for green and green for red, now lying in a hospital bed, unresponsive, realizing this. This. This being exactly what I fear with you. For Sam of Instagram might not be your future muse, but what if you mistake green for red and see it as truth? You say I'm as cool as the backside of a pillow. I know you are right, yet my face resembles the winter wrath of a weeping willow, always weeping, possessed by fright. Thank you There's a lot of imagery in there, and I would want to know whether there is any specific occasion when you came up with this, or uh, was it just a general feeling? It was, I was actually in the tram, and it was really full, and I got very annoyed. <laughs> and that's usually always on public transport is when I come up with like my ideas. And it was just, I don't know, I, was, I happened to be on Instagram, which is kind of where the line came home and walking home, being on Instagram. And, mm. and I don't know, I just kind of, it just kind of hit me. And I wrote down the first, or the, the middle lines, like lines 17 to 20, mm-hmm. in the tram on my phone. And then I just elaborated it and kind of made it into a more chronological story mm. is that what you mean by in some of instagram is this just a metaphor for like just anybody on, on yeah instagram? yeah it just it just means um because i find a lot of people when they're on instagram sometimes you go into this really dangerous pattern of stalking mm-hmm. a person and you stalk mm-hmm. the next person and you stalk the next person mm-hmm. and eventually you're looking at their aunt's barbara's i don't know barcelona <laughs> trip <laughs> from 2012 or something you know and it's just this constant mm-hmm. cycle totally relatable. <laughs> yeah and that that was kind of I liked Sam because it remind it, it, it rhymes with Instagram. So okay. I just felt like it would be really like a mm-hmm. nice assonance in between the sentences like mm-hmm. Sam of Instagram. Yeah, it's like a catch. Or it could it also be like a criticism on our generation? A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're not appreciating the time that we have with our loved ones Definitely. and spending time more in like social media. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a very sad and morbid thing to say, but I feel like the possibility of somebody getting run over by a car because they're looking at their phone yeah. is, I mean, that has to happen often, yeah. you know? It like, does, I think so. Yeah. yeah, and this is where the traffic light imagery comes in, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, it starts off as being literal because you mistake 
um, red for green. Mm-hmm. So you think, okay, you don't really realize that you shouldn't be walking and it's red mm-hmm. and you can't walk and you think it's fine. And then it kind of has the metaphorical aspect of like green for red and so that you mistake mm-hmm. the, the bad for the good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was actually going to ask about that. Yeah. Color and all yeah. That's it really makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how you end up in the hospital bed. Yeah. Okay, yeah, now it's clear. Because yeah. <laughs> before just talking about, we were just wondering what the hospital bed was about. Because I was thinking when you referred to us being finite, finite, I was feeling like, is this a fear of separation, of, uh, the fear of death? Because we're human and we're going to be separated, like we're going to die at some point, we're going to have to be separated. Um, so is it more like a breakup fear or... Both. Okay. Okay. It plays on both. I mean, essentially, um, it plays on like the breakup fear, I guess Mm -hmm. you can call it that, if that's what it is. Um, And I compare humans being finite, meaning mortal, that we can like, Mm -hmm. as finite as, let's say, I don't know, a relationship to a person Mm -hmm. could be. And I kind of compare the two and said the possibility, like we're we, like people don't have to be, but the possibility is as mortal as humans, and that it only takes a second to get run over by a car and mm-hmm. get killed. That's why I associated with the hospital bed uh, to that because of, like the separation from the death, and we're gonna realize that in our hospital beds and thinking, like, yeah. I'm sorry, it's so morbid. <laughs> no problem. We That's like, what poetry is about. Yeah, we like it morbid here. <laughs> I was um, regarding the social media. You think, you know, there's all this fear of loss in relationship in this uh, in this poem. Do you think social media makes this worse? Definitely, I think so. Because I think, um, I think everyone can relate to this. I don't see myself as being too too social media obsessed. I have my moments where I'm like, okay, maybe I need to chill and I need to step Not away, <laughs> um, as I think everyone does. And of course, it's kind of when you look, you always want to look what's going on, who's talking to whom, what's happening. You know what I mean? And there were so many unnecessary negative feelings that I had throughout the last couple of years that were purely based off of the fact that I was on a stupid app mm. and I saw, okay, this somebody commented on this person's picture, does that mean that they're dating or does this mean mm. that, oh no, and, you know, they don't, you know, they're unresponsive to me, does that mean they don't like me? It's just, it's yeah. so toxic and I feel like... It's very exhausting. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes feels like more information about other people than we're supposed to have. Yeah. I wonder what that must have been like when there wasn't anything like social media. Not saying that social media in general is bad, but no, it definitely but has its it, bad sides. Yeah, it has a side that keeps you obsessed with it and it, it's getting toxic, more and more toxic. And I don't think you need that much information for, about other people. Mm. Of course not. But you can't pull yourself out of that because now it's become a part of our lives. So, yeah. yeah, not not being a part of that would also be damaging to your social life. I think yeah, totally. you'd be missing out on a lot of things. I mean, sure, you'd have you wouldn't have some of the bad things, but also you wouldn't have any of the good things. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's also one of those things with information: the more you have, the more you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can't help it. And if you see this, it's like, okay, well, how much more can I can I fish out? How much more can I find? And mm-hmm. that's just a really really fast and toxic you know way to be really unhappy so mm-hmm. you don't even realize it until you're really in it i guess yeah, yeah. and then you're in too deep yeah mm. mm-hmm. 
You begin the poem with saying that actually you've got every reason to be happy, or at least you say that you're happy in this state, but still you're afraid, you're still not 100% there in, I don't know, 100% satisfaction state. Is that something you struggle with? Because we talked about that before, and yeah. we also said... We said that there is always this uh, side of you that like you just have this like happy thoughts and everything, and then all of a sudden you're like bombarded with uh, anxious thoughts. And every time uh, I'm like, yeah, after this, after I worry about this thing, I'm not gonna worry about anything else because like I'm gonna solve it and everything's gonna be fine. And then there's always this next thought that brings more worry and anxiousness and stuff. And we were just thinking about that because you started really happy. And then all of a sudden you're like, what if, what if we break up or what if we die or what if we are not <laughs> forever? <laughs> um, yeah, honestly, that's just the essence of me as a person. I can't, it's very hard to achieve because it's one of those things also with happiness is once you achieve a certain level of happiness, then you're, you can't be happy because you're scared it's going to get taken away. Mm-hmm. whatever the source of happiness may be so let's say your biggest goal in life is to i don't know pass this exam right now what's going to make me happy is if i pass this exam and then you pass this exam and it's like well i'm going to have another exam in five months and what if i fail that one and then that's a really temporary happiness and it goes the same i think with everything you're happy with something and you're scared okay but what if this gets taken away it can't be forever you know and it just you get anxious thinking what if this is not gonna last mm. you know this feeling of yeah. whatever ha- what, wherever this happiness comes from and so it's definitely I feel like it's a vicious cycle yeah so it's never ending mm-hmm. and it's also um, I have the craziest fear of death like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know anybody who's is afraid of death as much as I am it's it's probably unhealthy <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm that person that would say, oh, I'd, I'd live forever. And everyone tells me, you're, you're stupid. Like, you, you would really want to live forever. And I would not hesitate to say no because it's just like the, the fear of death is just so crazy. Mm-hmm. So I always incorporate death for some reason because obviously it's one of the things that... Um, oh, is it the back? Oh, was it the back? Yeah, and here in the poem is also there, kind mm-hmm. of looming in the background over all of it. Mm-hmm. But... You think, on the one hand, that uh, the knowledge that everything is going to end anyway might diminish the fear of more temporary loss, but here in this poem, it's more, it's, uh, yeah, it's... Like make the most of it, sort of. No, it's, it's exactly the other way around, kind really? of. It's still, like, you know, it's, everything is going, going to end, but still, in this poem, you're still worrying about the smaller things that might end despite it all it's very negative again i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) no we actually talked about that before and we said that in general the the tone of the poem is quite upbeat except for the last couple of lines and then it leaves us with this sad feeling is was that intended or definitely i think that um i talked about this at the creative writing society meeting last week when i read the poem when a couple of people didn't really understand the last couple of lines, the like the weeping willow reference, and you know, and I think what I meant with that is weeping willow generally is a tree that always looks sad, no mm. matter how beautiful it is outside or how it's always just kind of like 
bent over and, and it's just, you know, it just doesn't look happy. That's why it's called the weeping willow because it, it looks like it's always weeping. Yeah. And I'm a person, I cry very easily. Like I might just start crying now. I'm not even sad, but I cry very easily. The second anyone raises their voice at me in the slightest bit, I will burst into tears. And so I kind of relate to that because I'm not always sad, but I'm just always crying, even if it's a happy mm-hmm. cry or anything. And so I kind of related myself to the tree that I'm just always very weepy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it's not necessarily a weepy in a bad way, no, anyway. Because no. the feeling it leaves us with, despite the subject matter, most of the poem is actually written in a quite upbeat tone. And then we get to the last couple of lines and it says, Yet my face resembles the winter wrath of a weeping willow, always weeping, possessed by fright. And I'm just whoa, a bit flawed right now. I also got the same idea. Like it's uh, There's like this big shift from being happy and blissful and all, all that. And then right in the end, you're like, I'm weeping and, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the last couple of lines are in one stanza together. You say, I'm as cool as the backside of a pillow, and then until possessed by fright, that's all one stanza. So there's a lot of, it's a very different kinds of feeling together in yeah. one stanza, right? Definitely. I think also um, it's just very, it's just painting a picture of exactly what I feel. It sounds, it, of course, poetry is always supposed to be a little bit more dramatic. It's really not that dramatic in real life. But um, again, to the weeping willow thing, it's always kind of sad. And the winter wrath thing kind of is supposed to be a little um, reference to many things. I'm super pale. I mean, I'm very, very, very pale skinned. So I always look like, I don't know, a little wintery and like, you know, just cold in general, even though I'm, I'm not, but it's just my complexion is very cold. And I feel like the weeping willow, the trees or the branches of that tree are very, very fine. And they're very, just any wind or any sort of thing, the tree will just start flowing around. You know, it's not like some kind of big oak tree that just, and so I think that personifying the tree like the tree is always scared of the winter because it's cold and it's gonna like fly around and just be out of control and so I kind of compared myself to the tree as in I'm very winter-esque because I'm very pale and a little frail sometimes and a little weak and the tree is always weeping because it always looks sad and I'm very weepy and the tree is always scared of the winter I'm scared of all of this Thing, and I'm constantly in a state of kind of anxiety and fear because of the reasons mm-hmm. or the topics. The, the wind will destroy that. Yeah. yeah. And well, so it's like I'm the weeping willow almost. Like mm-hmm. I'm weeping yeah. It's I'm, a very personal stanza then. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Very personal. Yeah. It moves with the slightest gust of wind. Everything can, can influence it. But then again, when I think of the weeping willow, don't weeping willows have a really thick trunk also? that would be hard to cut down or anything. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's your, despite every, despite all the emotions you show on the outside, despite how easy you are to move, you're still very thoroughly grounded. I'd Would like that? to think so. Mm-hmm. It's a good image. That's a, yeah, that's a really good analogy. <laughs> Thank you. Did you write the poem f- specifically for somebody, with somebody in mind? Except for yourself, of course. Did you intend to read it to somebody, or was that just for you to process your own feelings? I mean, there was definitely somebody in mind, but um, it's mostly for me. I mean, I've shared the poem with friends and 
Emitted the whole creative writing society. Yeah. Have you shared with the person you had in mind? No. Okay. I don't. I don't think I'm going to. Yeah. It's, it's, it's you know it's just a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> I can relate to that. Some poems are just a lot. Yeah. <laughs> a, a lot of the poems are a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I promise I'm not this dramatic. I promise, like I'm, I'm, I'm not. I can totally relate. Like every time in the universe meetings, my poems are. They always make a pun out of them because they always come off really dramatic and I don't know. But that is what poetry is about, I guess. So that's what we need to process. Yeah. We need to be dramatic at one point so that we can get them out. And yeah. Yeah. I'm not here for the drama. I just <laughs> like poetry. Well, this is sorry. about my cat. Come on, it's not about you. <laughs> I said before how I feel that most of the poem actually has quite an upbeat tone. But also, it's quite vulnerable in a way. It talks about things that you wouldn't usually talk about to with just anyone on the street. Tell them, hey, are you afraid of death? Because I sure am. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> um, it, it is. It's very, very personal, very vulnerable. Because, you know, it's... I think also... Maybe it's just me, but the most, the weirdest, most vulnerable thoughts usually come spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I was in the tram and I walked over and I was like, what if I got run over by a car two seconds ago? You know what I mean? Just mm-hmm. like the randomest. It's kind of like, do you guys know? I don't know if maybe it's, I'm, maybe I'm just insane. But if you go to like the Donau or something or to mm-hmm. any body of water or at the beach and you have your phone in your hand and you're like, it'll no drop. Yeah. Not even it'll drop, but you're just like, what if I just throw my phone in there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I have those. I, I, I'm not entirely sure if this is applicable because I know this is like a psychologist's term. So you should always be careful with them if you're a person. Uh, but I think they're intrusive thoughts, basically. Like, if you're standing in high places and you're like, what if I just jumped, or if you're standing in the fast-flowing river, what if I just let myself fall in there and be carried away? Yeah. So Those that are... exists, like, in the medical... Yeah, thing. yeah. Okay. The best is laundry when I'm holding bleach in my hand. It's like, what if I just mm. drink this? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like... <laughs> I could. Yeah, I could. I don't want to do it. I could kill myself in two seconds right now. Yeah. It's just, it's the weirdest thing. And so it was also one of those things. Like, you know, I just, the traffic was fast and the tram was barely moving. And it's, you know, what if I just get up and just run? Mm. And just have like the first like truck. being really close to death at any time during the day, even in your regular days. So that maybe the, it like sort of enhances that fear. Yeah. Anything can literally happen. So. I think in order to be to exist without going completely insane, you have to ignore that, how, ignore how close you are to death mm-hmm. most of most of the time. Because you, if you always were thinking about, I mean, there are people who are always thinking about this, about all the germs on their skin and everything that could kill them at any given moment in time, you'd go completely mad. Yeah, you should just trust in the fact that so many people made it until they are like. I don't know, 80s, 90s or Yeah, but I mean, that doesn't help because humans are really bad with statistics. So I mean, like, <laughs> our brain's not, like, our brain's not built to, like, to gorge quantitative evidence. That's yeah, not what we do. I mean, obviously, but there are at least somebody out there who didn't, like, who 
got past all of those like chances of death or possibilities of death. Like they survive, we survive every day. Hey, my great grandma, she was born in Soviet Russia and had nothing to eat her whole life, and she made it till ninety-one. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, you never know. It's so crazy what happens to all people. Like my grandma grew up sleeping on hay bales, having like sleeping almost on the, on the floor and having almost nothing to eat and now she lives in her own flat and has enough to eat and tons of kids and tons of family. It's so weird how much things have changed for all people. And then I think about our lives and how much might change in our lives. What if we end up sleeping on him? <laughs> yeah, that's what I think. Because for your grandparents, like, it changed for the better, kind of. Yeah. And for us, I'm not sure. Like, thinking about how the world is going, like, with all of those political situations. I feel like I'm we were sure. born so privileged. Yeah. Compared mm-hmm. to our parents and our grandparents. We were born so much more privileged in them, so I feel like it can only go downhill. Really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's hope it doesn't. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. We've already been talking about our general situation in life and feelings with thoughts and the future. Is writing a big big part for you in that? Something that helps you deal with that? Definitely. I feel like if I couldn't write some of this stuff down, then I'd, I'd definitely go crazy. I, I don't know if there's a condition for this, but there must be some kind of condition for thinking way too much and talking way too much. <laughs> And I think I, I have to have that. And I just, I can't stop thinking like about anything. It doesn't have to be bad. It can be good. But, you know, just one train of thought and the other train of thought and the other train of thought and the other train of thought. And my mom always told me, she's like, why don't you have smoke coming out of your ears? Like, <laughs> <laughs> because some of the things or explanations that I would give her for the tiniest things, if something made me nervous or something made me uncomfortable, even if something made me happy, and I would explain to her the trains of thought that got me to emotion XYZ, she would look at me and just, how, did, how do you even, how does this even happen in somebody's brain that just goes like that? And if I couldn't write some of the stuff down, it would be crazy. Mm. I think it really does help find, like, gather your thoughts and just, like, structure some things in your head. Or even just get it out. Sometimes yeah, if, to get rid of them. if a person's upset me or I'm confused with my situation with a person or with a friend or something, sometimes I'll just write, like, a letter expressing all of my feelings, all of my thoughts, even arguing, calling them bad names. That's <laughs> good. That's and then good. once I write that, I'll just sometimes just write it in my phone. Maybe I should try that too. And then sometimes you just feel better. You don't have the need to even talk to them anymore. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody's being maybe not so nice to you or ignoring you and you feel like you can't, or maybe you've done something to upset them, but you don't aren't in, really in the position to talk to them about it. You just I write usually like a little letter in the form of a text message because I mean, come on, <laughs> we're not in the nineteenth <laughs> century. <laughs> so I'd write like a hey. So I just wanted to talk about blah blah blah, and I write this really long message that makes no sense, that has no you know structure, no points that you know connect, and then I put it away and I don't think about it as much. Yeah. That's interesting. So it doesn't always have to be in the form of art, but yeah. you can also use writing as like for you know to just like get it out and feel better. Mm-hmm. So yeah. writing is good for yeah. just for that. But of course, I'm very creative, so I like you know it, it's not as much. Of course, I could write. Oh wow, I'm so scared. One day I'm gonna die. I'm sad and crying all the time. <laughs> you know, like you can do that too. <laughs> but I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
you have to you have to package it a little bit, yeah. make it a bit prettier. Of course. Yeah. You'll look a little less crazy as well. Mm. It's, it's all for the art. It's all for the art. Yeah. <laughs> have you been writing for a long time? Since, yeah. Since when yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been writing since I was a little kid. Okay. I, the first poem I can remember, it was about death. <laughs> Shocker. I'm so sorry. Um, I was. It must have been eight. I wrote about this bumblebee that gets killed by, that gets killed by something. I think it was by a human. I don't remember. All I remember was it was about a bumblebee, and he he was collecting pollen, and then he died. Mm. <laughs> That's nice. And I think I was. I wrote this. I remember after a piano last, lesson I had when I was eight years old. So I was eight. Mm-hmm. I think the what I can remember That's at least. Of course, time. of course, always maybe like little stories here and there. And then my mom was actually the one who told me that. Oh wow, you tell stories really nicely. So I I thought, okay, apparently I'm not terrible at it. And mm-hmm. I just kinda kept doing it. I would write horror stories. I loved writing horror stories. Yeah, like murders and people disappearing and mm-hmm. just really weird stuff. And then in the sixth grade, I will never forget this, we had this little Japanese teacher. God, she was she was a piece of work. And she always had her favorites in the class. And if you weren't in those three, then you were really stupid. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I was trying to prove, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm smart and I can do this and I'm, I have potential. And she would just always kind of ignore me. And just you could kind of tell I was not on her radar whatsoever. She didn't dislike me, but I think indifference is worse than someone hating you, like mm-hmm. when they're just indifferent towards you. And that's how she was. And I just felt so horrible. And then we were, we, for the first time at our school, we started doing creative writing. And she said, okay, just write your story and whatever. And I wrote this story about this guy taking a girl on a date. It doesn't matter what it was about. But and she said she's going to read out some of the best stories. And she didn't pick my story. And I thought my story was quite good. Like, I didn't see why I didn't deserve to be read out. So I asked her for constructive feedback. Okay, why didn't you read my story? Kind of, I mean, I was 11 years old at the time, but I wanted, okay, maybe there was... First, an explanation. Yeah, you know, maybe your grammar was off, or maybe, you know, you could structure it better. I don't know, like, actual... And I remember she said to me, and I, and I remember I said, why did you pick this person's story over mine? And she said, well, you have to understand with writing and creative things, some people just have more talent than others. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not... I remember I looked at her and I was like, you are wrong. Like, I'm, this is, you're, this is not okay. And I guess that just really kind of, I don't know what it did to me. But ever since then, I was just writing like a crazy person. I remember I asked my mom to buy me a notebook and I started writing a book. I was like, I'm going to write a book. I wrote a book about my move because I moved from New York to Canada. And it was in Canada where this happened. So I wrote about my move and this like, you know, very junior high school type story, you know, having a crush on, you know, the guy sitting across from me and we shared a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and <laughs> just just really juvenile, kind of like Judy Bloom type of writing, but I was 11, so it's fine. It's fine. It's pretty early. I mean, it's still a great thing to write a book about it. And I just, I remember I filled almost all the pages and I'm sure it wasn't that good, but it kind of, it left a little mark and ever since then I just never really stopped. Mm-hmm. So you basically started more with like stories and prose rather yeah. than poetry. Yeah, yeah, prose was always my thing because mm-hmm. um, I feel like it's a lot easier to get out a lot in prose because you don't have to be so... And I liked writing just little stories, short stories. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't as much commitment to writing a book. Yeah. Um, the first long thing that I wrote was this fan fiction. 
when I was 16. I wrote an Aleph pad and it actually had a really big audience. A bunch of people oh. really liked it. And about that which fandom? <laughs> it was about a band. Uh-huh. It was a band fandom. Okay. Which band? Oh, yes, yeah, personal questions. <laughs> <laughs> I want to share this on you my Facebook. Right <laughs> yeah, you, you have just the right to stay silent. No comments. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it was just, I mean, it was an alternative universe fanfiction, meaning it, you know, wasn't, I just used their names, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, you use the names and the look of a character, so if I were to write a fanfiction about Leo, he'd be called Leo and would look like Leo, but he wouldn't, you know, be mm-hmm. Leo so studying sorry. English, he could be Leo the... I don't know, the rock star in a leather jacket, you know, just completely different, you know. That is very different. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I did that, and I feel like people always gave me such a hard time for writing that, but I felt like if you change the name, you would never know that it was connected to a band. Or if you say, okay, he has black hair instead of blonde hair, and then change his name, it's it was a completely original story, so. The attitudes of people towards fan fiction are so weird. Like, I agree. Especially professional authors, they often say that, you know, it's stolen work because you you took my you took my world and you're not, you know, you're not doing you're not putting the work in so it's not real real writing. But I don't know, I mean what kind of what kind of small conception of writing do you have if that's not real writing? I don't know. It's, I mean, of course, it's a different thing if people are really taking a lot of your work and then making money of it, off of it. But that's for copyright reasons. Not that's not uh, that's not uh, an artistic criticism. I agree. Especially not to be you know shady, but I've read so many fan fictions that were based off of you know maybe a movie or a TV show or even a book that, that were better. better. Yeah. Mm. They were better written mm-hmm. than. That, like you could tell the writer had way more talent than the original author. Yeah. I mean, it's more like an inspiration. Yeah. Writer, and also recycling. Yeah. Recycling stories and people mm-hmm. and worlds is something deeply human. That's something we've been doing for ages. If you read the Bible, you've got tons of stuff in there. And still, we don't say that's not art. I mean, we also don't say that the Bible is art. But I would know. <laughs> people probably don't say that the Bible is crap because it recycles stories of mm-hmm. people who who told stories before. That's just not how this works. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, I get a bit flustered up about these things. No, I'm 100% on your side. And I think it's such a, even if you're not, for me, because I wrote about um, bands, so it wasn't about, I wasn't taking like a, a canon piece of literature and creating something new. I was creating something completely new because I was just taking a person and putting them into my story because I liked the way that this person looked or, mm-hmm. you know, just... So, the same thing as that you were inspired by that. Yeah, so I said, I want you to be, you know, in my story. And I created a completely original story. Until this day, I get people who make fun of me for it and I don't understand why because it's a completely original story. And if you were to change the names and just put, I don't know, some random name like Bob Miller or something, mm-hmm. it's a completely original story that no one's ever read before. And aren't there already published work that are fan fiction of like other texts or books mm-hmm. or whatever? Yeah. So there are actually, yeah, a lot of things like that out there. So if it's copying, then how, how would that work? Mm. I don't yeah. see. I mean, yeah, like stuff like Fifty Shades of Grey, but that's <laughs> yeah. also there, like, it's... It hardly resembles any of, the, of what you know, yeah. you know any of what the original source text was. 
So, yeah, you also, I don't think you could make copyright claims on that. Most people don't even know that. It's fine. Yeah, actually. I didn't know that actually. Um, I just found out like this year or something. Yeah. Somebody told me, and I was like, really shocked. Really? Is that from Twilight? I mean, <laughs> I, were you really that shocked? <laughs> I, yeah, not that shocked. I, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know. I, see the I feel like they took Twilight and just made it cheesier and more Yeah, <laughs> True. One more thing about fan fiction. I think it's a great way to get young people to start writing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Having their favorite books, having their favorite TV show, band, whatever. And then they just, oh, let me write a story about that. And I think it's such a great way to get people to start writing mm-hmm. without feeling, okay, I have a blank page. I don't know how to start. I don't even know. You know, I have nothing to inspire me. And you have something to kind of give you a push. I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think see. And I mean, also, like, relating to art, that not that also how many great, like... The great masters of painting and many great songwriters, what they started out with, they just copied everything they found good about other people's work until finally one day they developed their own style. Still, their own style might be, might be like gobbled up together from everything that they, they read before. So mm-hmm. I think that's perfectly balanced to and do. Yeah, I feel like everything we write, um, even if they're not fan fiction of stuff or if they're like we don't consciously think that we're inspired by one thing but I feel like everything that we write is already based on what we have sort of read or have seen so far we can't like completely come up with a story that is so like apart from everything that we've seen we have a collective thing in our mind that like made out of of everything that we've already seen of course read so that's that's what I, why I think it's like similar to being inspired. You said that you wrote this on the tram. Is that what often mm-hmm. happens Public for you? What's mm-hmm. that you get inspiration while you're out and about Definitely. from the outer world? Yeah, um, just momentary things are what inspire me. I don't have this one thing that I'm like, oh wow, this is inspo. It just kind of happens in the moment. Um, it sounds a little narcissistic, but I don't mean it this way. I inspire myself a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't mean it because I Your think I'm so... Your own thoughts, I guess. Yeah. Because you said you have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So time, oh, wow, I think I'm so amazing. Let me write a story about mm-hmm. myself. I mean, it's kind of like, I'll think something or I'll see something from my point of view or I'll witness something and the feelings or the thoughts that I have with that usually inspire something. Mm-hmm. The amount of self-deprecating texts that are hidden in my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It really is a treasure chest, mm-hmm. your your files. Yeah. Also I, I wouldn't I probably like I have this archive and I probably would never there's nobody I'd ever let into this archive and just let them roam freely then just read it all up because I decide what to share and what not to share. So yeah, thank you for sharing this. For bringing this from the depths of your laptop to us. Thank you for having me. Um, is there any place you would like to plug? Um, the fan fiction I mentioned is still online. Ooh. And it's also the same place where I publish my story Eminem, which I've shared at the Creative Writing Society. And it's on Wattpad, my Wattpad account, the home of fan fiction. I think mm-hmm. I quickly checked it before the session. It seemed really interesting. I'm going to read your stuff on there. Eminem? Um, you had some others. I think you had one. It wasn't called Eminem, but it was called uh, Two Brothers. 
to to opposite brothers. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the same. Yeah, I assume so because of the yeah the because I know the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, and two other stories. One story I never started. I like the idea of it, and then the cover for some reason is still up. I started mm-hmm. it in two thousand fourteen, and I said I would only start it once I was almost finished with the one before that, but I never got almost finished. Unfortunately, it's unfinished. The story it will mm-hmm. never be finished. Who knows? Maybe I'll finish it, but. Um, but it's called Illusion, which is my fanfic. I wrote when I was 16, mm-hmm. so it's very outdated. Um, it gets better as you go along. You can tell that there was definitely a, like an evolution in writing because mm-hmm. it started oh, off, yeah, it started off a little eh, and then it got a little better and a little better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a little eh because I stopped when I was about 18, mm-hmm. that one. So it, it obviously isn't my best work, but it's there if anyone's interested. <laughs> it's nice to see your own progress and all the also nice for other people to see especially when you're inspiring writers yourself seeing how other people did and how they progressed definitely yeah so i'll put that in the show notes as usually ellie is there any place where people can find you online uh well yeah i have an instagram page where i discover um, secret cafes um, and coffee places around the world so it's called secretcafes.worldwide and that's the Instagram name, so you can just search that and access that. Um, and then I have a blog called elliek.travelblogspot, uh, I think, AT. Um, and there you can find some of my travel writings and a lot of, I actually upload a lot of my poetry on there as well. Mm-hmm. So now it's more like a travel slash literature blog. So Sounds you can also great. write that one. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes too. Sounds really cool. Cool cafe houses all over the world. Thank you. Yeah, you can always, you can, as usual, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Leo Engelmeyer. This was episode 10 of the Universe podcast. If you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us, make sure to subscribe to the Universe podcast wherever you're listening to it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and tell us what you think to help other people find the podcast. And please tell all your friends about it. Comments? Questions? You can reach us on Twitter, we're at PodUniverse on Facebook, or via our email address, podcast at universe.univ.org. This podcast was edited and hosted by Leonhard Engelmeyer. The co-host was Elivnaz Kabaldje. Our guest on this episode was Elizabeth Arschlager. I hope you visit this planet in the universe again. In the meantime, stay safe in space. Thank you for listening.